it's time to turn now to God's Word. Uh, this is a passage, we're just looking at three little verses, and we talked about them a little bit last week, but there's so much more in those three verses that we need to talk about, so we're going to revisit this passage. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word, which not only teaches us about you and who you are, but also teaches us about ourselves and who we are. And as we open our minds and our hearts to study your word, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and and apply these words into each one of our individual lives. Lord, our lives are all different. We come from different backgrounds, different struggles. Uh, different beliefs, different doubts. And so we would pray that you would minister to each one of us individually by the miraculous power of your Spirit. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear, and we open our hearts to you now, and asking this in the name of Jesus, our faithful Savior. Amen. So we are uh, talking about an important topic this morning, the topic of idolatry, which is the worship of false gods. And you might hear that word idolatry, worshiping false gods, and you might think that that was something that kind of happened back in the ancient world, you know, where there were lots of temples and statues, and you know, we don't have a lot of temples and statues that people worship in our day. But uh, the reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century said this, Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So actually, if there's any passion that you have in your life, something that you really long for, you know, things that really capture your imagination, those are all potential things that play the role of God in your life. Because as human beings, we were made to worship a God. You were made to worship the one true God. And if you don't worship the one true God, you will find another God to worship. And actually... uh, David Foster Wallace was an American author who committed suicide in 2008. And he, a couple of years before his death, he gave a commencement speech at uh, Kenyon College. And I want to read to you, he was, he's not a Christian, uh, but this is, this is a comment that he made in his commencement speech. Hear what he says. He says, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Pretty much anything else you worship besides God will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. 
you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb, numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. And what Wallace says is that idolatry, idolatry is taking good things in the world, good things like intellect and, and uh, you know, possessions and relationships and sex, these things that are good things given by God, and making them ultimate things, they all of a sudden become destructive in your life. They weren't meant to play that role. And he says that this tendency to take the good things that we have in our life and not just receive them with thanksgiving and thank you God for these gifts, but to make them our gods, that is something that we are constantly doing unconsciously. We're constantly taking good things and saying, putting all of our hope in them, all of our passion to them, instead of thanking God for them. It is our default setting, something we do all the time. And so um, as we come to this little passage I just read from 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us a number of fascinating things about idolatry and how destructive it is and tells us what it means to have a life that is truly about worshiping our creator, the one who made us, the one for whom we exist. How can we turn from idols, false gods, to the one true living God? And so this morning I want to answer three questions about idols for us. This is what they are, simple questions. First of all, what are idols? What are the idols in the modern world in, you know, Bellingham, uh, 2016? What are the idols that we're tempted towards facing? Second, why are they a problem? Why is it such a big deal that we turn away from them and we become aware and identify what our idols are? And then the third thing is, how can we be set free from them? Okay, so great insights from the Apostle Paul this morning. So first question is this, what are idols? How, you know, how can we identify what the false gods in our lives are? You know, if we're, if, you know, if we're always drawn to them unconsciously, we're not even aware that we have these false gods as our default setting, how can we become aware of them? Okay, a few ways that Paul says. The first thing is that idols are things we sacrifice to and obey without question. So you can know that something is an idol if you sacrifice to it. You see that there in verse 4. The first thing he says about idols is, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... Now, in the ancient world, you know, in, uh, you know, the pagan religions, you know, when they would have a temple and they'd had, you know, whole priesthoods that were devoted to certain idols and gods, there were elaborate purity laws that went along with, you know, preparing priests and preparing people for, you know, worshiping these gods. There were all kinds of codes that they had to follow in order to constantly be maintaining the pleasure of, the, you know, pleasing the god. And, um, and there was a massive amount of time and resources, right? If you sacrifice animals in the ancient world, animals were expensive. Meat was expensive. And so you're giving your most valuable resources to these gods, and you had to constantly do that to maintain the goodwill of the gods. And so you know something is a god. One of the ways that you can identify a god is where do your time and resources go? Where does your money flow to easily, without question? I don't even, you know, this isn't even a discussion. It's on the top of the list of expenses for the week. You know, we're not even going to debate this. Those are the things that you prize the most with your heart. Those are the things you're devoted to. Jesus says you follow the treasures. Where your treasure goes, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. And so, you know, for example, if outdoor gear 
gets hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars fairly easily. And, but, you know, it's very hard for money to go to the church or, you know, go to missionaries or go to, you know, kingdom work. That's an indication of what's happening, what you really love, what your God is. What is the thing that you place your hope in? Because, of course, I've got to give money to this, but I'm not sure I want to give money to that. It reveals to you what's in your heart and what the, uh, the things you worship are. And generally, the time and work and energy and attention we give to these things can't be questioned. You know, we say, honey, you know I have to do this, so don't even argue with me about it. Don't even argue. You know this isn't a debate. <laughs> okay? We have to do this. Okay? That's the first indication of idol. Second thing about idols is that idols are things we look to for protection and provision. Okay, so the gods in the ancient world were those who, you know, when you're going to war, you go sacrifice to the gods, and they're going to protect you from your enemies. Or you go sacrifice to the gods, they're going to bring rain on the land, they're going to give you resources and food, they're going to provide for you, and they're going to protect you. That's what gods do. And you can see that in verse 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, uh, you know, when someone, even if someone's not a Christian, you know, they don't believe in God, when do they start talking to heaven? You know, when we start all of a sudden praying, you know, get me out of this mess, it's when our life feels out of control. We don't feel safe. We don't feel like, you know, food's going to get on the table. We feel like we're going to lose the job. And all of a sudden we start talking to the heavens, right? It's because the gods are the things that we look to that will make our life safe. It'll make sure I have things that give me comfort in my life. And so gods are the things that promise us the good life a good and full life. What do you look to that promises you, if you had it, if my life was filled with this, I would have a full and good and safe life? And of course, money is a great idol that promises these things to us. We say that money can buy me a safe place to live and keep me from danger. Money can give me comfort, so I'm going to be happy, I won't get depressed. Money can save me from depression. Money can give a meaningful future to my children. I know that they'll have a great life. You know, it's generations to come. Money can solve all these problems. I mean, those are tremendous promises that money is making. Those are the kind of huge promises that only a God can make in your life. And we can begin to trust in money to be, it's actually not God who gives me those things. It's not God who cares for my children. It's not God who, you know, deals with my emotional life and my depression, my sadness, and gives me joy. It's not God who keeps me safe. It's money that can do that. And so I better serve money and get as much of it as I can to, to protect me. And what ends up happening is also sacrifice, the first point, and, and protection often go together, right? If, you, if I've sacrificed enough to the God, I know he'll defend me from my enemies or he'll bring me rain. And I'm constantly keeping up that I have to make sure that I've sacrificed enough in order to get the promise, the thing that the God promises me. And that's why we are constantly giving, having to give work towards our gods is because they won't deliver unless we've sacrificed enough. And so we have to sacrifice our whole lives to them. And so this raises a question for us. What are those things in your life? Where do your resources go easily? Without question. What do you sacrifice for? What do you, you know, what do you give unquestioning obedience to? And what is the thing that says it will promise you a good life? Things that are not your creator that will promise you a good life. These are the things that have the potential to be an idol in your life. And these are the functional idols of your heart. But there's a third thing that I think Paul, you know, as we answer the question, what 
you know, what are our idols? How do we identify them? Okay, they, we sacrifice them. They, we look to them for protection and provision. But also, idols are things we look to for meaning and significance. Things that tell us that our lives matter. And, you know, you can look to anything to tell you your life matters. Actually, many of us, when we have a good experience, you, know, you have a good time with friends, it's like, if I just had a friend group like that, my, my life would be full and complete. Or, you know, a job, if I had a job that I loved going to, my life would be full and complete. My life would matter. I'd be somebody. And you'll notice that Paul mentions here the multitude of idols in the world. He says in verse 5, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. John Calvin is famous for saying, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. We are actually skilled at taking anything and turning it into a god. We, we actually are skilled. Our hearts are skilled. It's default for us. We just do it without even thinking. We can turn things into gods because they, they, they bring us happiness. Now, one of the things that you have to be clear about is um, that the things that we make into idols are always good things. You know, so you hear me talking about outdoor gear. You know, how much money do you spend on outdoor gear? I love the outdoors. The outdoors is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's when we take a good thing and we make it into an ultimate thing that it becomes destructive. And so, for example, you know, a very easy thing for us to center our lives on is our children. We have all kinds of children in our church. And, and we feel, you know, often commended for making your children the center of your life. I will sacrifice everything for my children. I will give, I will, you know, no expenses too much. I will go to all ends to make my, give my children a happy life. Wow, that's a lot. You, that's a lot for your children to carry, that they have to justify your existence. Like, they have to give meaning to your life. I mean, you're putting a huge burden on them. And if you make your child into a god, you're either going to indulge them Give them whatever they want. That's not going to be good for them. Or you're going to have these high expectations that they better be amazing children to prove that you were a great parent. These are the burdens that when we make our children into a God that they have to give the reason for our existence, they have to carry that. And, um, and we often think that is commendable because the things that are God's are the things that we look to to justify our existence. And when your trust is not in God, it's very easy to look at your children and say, well, at least I got these kids. I'm a mom or I'm a dad, and it, now I matter. Instead of looking to God and his approval and saying, because of him, I matter. And, you know, I'll tell you, in my case, preaching the Bible is a potential idol. It has been a temptation of an idol for me. Would you think, you know, talking about God, talking about the Bible, how can that be a false God? Well, believe me, it can, right? You can look to, I can look to how good a sermon is to justify my existence, to say that I'm righteous, to say that my life matters. I'll tell you, you know what happens? Anytime you think you preach a good sermon, guess what happens? Monday morning's there, and the sermon's long gone, and everyone else forgotten about it. <laughs> and you better get working on the next one, and it better be better. And I'll just tell you, preaching the Bible is a terrible God. It will kill you as a God. It's a good thing, though. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Of course it's a good thing. And that's what's so deceptive about idolatry is all the things we turn into idols are good things. They're gifts from God that we're supposed to receive with thanksgiving and to glorify him for. But we, we, instead of glorifying him, we replace them with the idol. And so what are idols? Idols are things we sacrifice to, that we give our obedience to, things we trust in for to make our life happy and safe and, and that we'd have good things. And it's the things that we look to to say that our lives matter and that we have significance. 
And so you might say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, okay, let's say I make my children, my, my passion is my children or my family, or my passion is my work. I just love getting into my work. Why can't that be the defining thing of my life? What's, what's wrong with that? Well, this leads to the second question of why idols are a problem. And in this passage, Paul gives two answers to that. That first, idols have no real existence is a problem. That's a problem. And second, idols enslave and dehumanize us. Good things can enslave and dehumanize you. So first of all, idols have no real existence. You see, that's how he talks verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. The things we make into gods are not gods, and therefore they can't deliver all that we're hoping them to deliver for us. So, for example, this last week I was, uh, I was down at Woods at Boulevard and I ran into Nicholas Kreider. Nicholas is a, a member of our church who's a surf skier, and I was telling him that when we were on our vacation, we, went, we spent a night in Hood River. Hood River is the wind and water capital of the world, you know, like windsurfing and kayaking and stuff like that. And, and you know, he was saying that, you know, you're a presbytery, you need to think about getting a church in Hood River. Because, uh, well, for one, I think he must, he'd love to move there. But uh, the second thing is, he says, you know, all kinds of people move to Hood River, and they're expecting to experience the ultimate. You know, it's just the wind is rushing, and the waves are big every day, and they're going to experience this ultimate rush of the outdoors and recreation. And what happens, all these people move there, and then they experience the ultimate. And then what do you do? You've experienced the ultimate. And there's this drop-off that happens of this void, this emptiness, this hollowness, that it just could not give meaning to your existence. It was a good thing that was trying to carry the whole weight of your whole life, and it fails him. He says, there's all these people that are depressed, and they're empty, and they don't know where to turn next. We've got to get a church there, so they know where to turn, and they can hear about the one true God. And so if your hope is in an idol, um, oh, sorry, what he is saying is that the idol of ultimacy in the wind and the water had no real existence, and it left a void and an emptiness and a despair. And so it also means that if your idol has no real existence and your identity is wrapped up in that idol, then you will not have a stable identity. Your identity will always be in flux. It will be, always be easily shaken. So for example, if your idol is a person, I, you fall in love and you say, I, I can see my happy life in the future with this person and they will make that life happy. And then that person says, you know, I decided we're not supposed to get married, and they disappear. And your whole happy life, the whole vision was tied up to that person. They're gone. What's going to happen? Your whole identity is going to fall apart. You have no future. You have no hope. And you have deep despair. And so um, if, if, if an idol carries the whole meaning of your existence, and that idol disappears, you will have no resilience in the face of hardship. You can't face hardships because you don't have a rock to stand on, and God is our only rock. And so, uh, you know, Tim Keller gives an example in his book, Reason for God, um, about when he was a pastor uh, many years ago, there were two women in his church who, at the same time, they were uh, very frustrated with their husbands because their husbands had been poor fathers, and now they both had uh, grown sons that were really living really destructive lives. It was just heartbreaking to these mothers, and they were very angry with their husbands. And so Tim Keller had brought them into his office, and he was counseling them, and he says, well, you know, you're a Christian. You're going to have to forgive your husband. You have to forgive them. 
And the one that was kind of actually the less religious of the two said, all right, I've got to forgive him. And she forgave him. But the one that was really involved in church, read the Bible, it was, you know, talked about God all the time, she just could not forgive her husband. She just could not let it go. And what he said was, she said to him, well, if my son goes down the drain, then my whole life will have been a failure. If my son goes down the drain, my whole life will have been a failure. Her whole identity is wrapped up in the son. And if he... If he uh, if he has trouble, then there's no identity left for her. She's just a shadow, just like a wraith that just disappears. There's no substance because the sun... And, and so having a stable emotional life in the face of hardship is essential to a, a full and rich life. And so it's only when we have God as our true God that we can love others in the midst of our disappointment, that we can have a hopeful perseverance when hard things come, and that we can even accept criticism when we fail. The reason we can't accept criticism is because so often our identity is tied up in whatever the thing is that we're being criticized for. When our hope and our rock is in God, we can receive those things. But idols strip you of these character qualities, the ability to love, the ability to have you know, uh, emotional balance in your relationships. Idols dehumanize you. And this is the second reason why idols are promised. Not only because they have no existence. They can't be a god. They can't deliver on what they promise. The second thing is they actually enslave and dehumanize you. And you notice in verse 5 that Paul says that these, he calls these idols lords. They are masters of you. They master your life. And the Bible says everywhere that when you make anything your god, it's not only that it will fail you, but actually it will take control of your life. And so, for example, you know, if you make your work a God. That's the thing that you obey no matter what. That's the thing that you say, if, if I get my work life under control and I'm making enough money, it's for my family. It, I'm doing it for the family. It's going to make them happy. And I have to give to my work life whatever it demands in order to give this happy life uh, to my family. The subtext is that the job is the only thing that can make our family happy. The job is the only thing that can make our family happy. And if you think my career and my job is the hope of my family and the thing that makes me happy, the thing that will happen is you won't see your family. And you thought you were fighting for a good family and you, you don't even know them. <laughs> you haven't even spent time with them. And you've sacrificed them in, in the midst of it because that's what idols do. They enslave you and destroy you and dehumanize you and you think you're doing a good thing in the midst of it. That's why it's so deceptive. And... Um, and what will also happen is when you have success in your job, and your job is your idol, you're not going to thank God for that success. You're not going to glorify him and say, God, I don't deserve this success. I don't deserve the good things. You know, you opened doors that I couldn't have even opened doors for myself. You gave me opportunities that I didn't even plan for. You don't say those things. You say, I accomplished this. I, this is what I did. And so it actually alienates us from God, and we don't, we're not close to God and receiving what he gives us with, with thanksgiving. And so God has this vision for our lives that are a relational life of, of thanksgiving and worship to God, that my life exists to glorify God. And all of what it means to be a human, idols strip us of. Now, some of you hear me say, okay, pastor doesn't believe in hard work. You know, he doesn't know, you know, jobs take sacrifice, working, you know, you've got to get out there, you've got to get after it. That's a part of the real world. You're right. Hard work is a good thing. Hard work matters. The, God demands hard work of us. That's a subtle difference than hard work is the essence of my identity. 
And so, you know, this is what happens. You think about if you make money into an idol. You think that money will give you a sense of control of how things are going to happen. But what ends up, honey, ends up happening is the money starts controlling you. It directs the things that you love. It directs your time. It, di it directs uh, what you spend your thought life on. And you thought that money was going to give you control, but it's actually controlling you. Or if you think about the outdoors, the outdoors is going to give me freedom and rest if I could just you know, regularly be out in the outdoors and have an amazing experiences. And you think it's going to be freedom and rest. Actually, it's quite a lot of work being good <laughs> at the outdoors. And, uh, and it's going to demand more and more from you if you're going to be good at that. And so many people in our culture have noticed this about the world. And they say, you know what, okay, you're right. There's a lot of false gods that fail you. Money can't make you happy. You can't invest everything in a person. They can't be your God. Job can't be your God. The outdoors can't be your God. And so what's the 21st century American answer? Nothing can be a God except moi. I must be the only God. I can't trust in anything else, but I must trust in myself. I must follow my own passions wherever they lead. I must ob obey my thirst. Whatever it says, I must take control of my own life. But what the Bible says is that an idol is when we take any created thing that was created good by God and we turn it into a God. And guess what you are? You are a created thing that was created good by God. You were not meant to be a God. You can't carry the burden of that either. And so... We come to this, you will fail yourself as your own God. And so this comes to the question of how can we be freed from idolatry? It's happening unconsciously everywhere. We're sacrificing to it. We, they're, they're failing in their promises to us. It's dehumanizing, enslaving us. How can we be set free? And so that's the third question that we're going to uh, answer from this text. And the Bible says that we must repent of our idols. I know repent is kind of a religious word. Let me give you a definition of repentance. This is uh, Dan Allender, who's a Christian psychologist, defines repentance this way. He says, repentance is an internal shift in our perceived source of life. Repentance is an internal shift in our perceived source of life. When you're looking to an idol for your life, it's an internal shift to say, God alone is going to be the source of my life. And the way Paul calls us to that in this passage is he recites this ancient creed. You know, uh, in sometimes our services we recite the Apostles' Creed, and there's a little creed like that in, uh, in this passage that I read that tells us two things of where we should be putting the source of our life, our internal source uh, for our life, is to see that God is my Father and that Jesus is my Savior. This is the only way to be freed from the enslavement of idols. And so first, he says that we must know that God is our Father. Look at verse 6. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. What he says is that everything that you have in your life, your protection, your provision, your significance, everything about you, comes from God, from a Father who loves you as a gift. It's not something you work for. It's not something you're enslaved for. It's something that he blesses you with. And you know, Jesus talks that way. If you read uh, the way Jesus 
talks about our relationship with the Father. He's like, your Father knows all the needs you have. He knows you need food and clothes, and he knows you need a house, and he knows you, know, you need to provide for your children, and he will care for you. And he will care for you better than any of these other gods, and you just simply can trust in him. And he's a Father who gives good gifts, and he wants you to ask them. And if you ask him for those good gifts in faith, you will find him over and over providing for you. And the fact that you're alive right now, your heart's beating, you all have clothes on, you're all, you know, maybe had breakfast this morning. That was all a gift from God because he has provided every minute of your life and you can trust in him. And it's not only that he's the one from whom we receive everything, but it's also he's the one for whom we exist. He is the one who can give significance to your life because that is what you were made for. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the meaning of your existence. And anything less than that will fail you. Now, for some of you, you might say, okay, that's great. I, I believe that. God is my Father. I should trust in Him to care for me. I should not look to idols. I should give, glorify Him should be the meaning of my existence. But like you said, like I said at the beginning, isn't it our default to not do that? <laughs> if my default is not to do it, and I unconsciously worship idols and go to idols all the time, then how am I supposed to do that? Well, that's the second thing. You can't just have God as your Father. You must also have Jesus as your Savior. It says in verse 6, and, we believe, and uh, for us there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. How do we come into that life with God as our Father? It is through Jesus Christ. He is the one who's come as a man and tempted in all the ways that we have been tempted. He had all the gods surrounding him, and he went, you know, when he went to the trial, he had all kinds of people, you know, there was not a safe place around him, threatening him. And Peter says that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He trusted in his Father. He was faithful. He believed. And so he is the one that is the only one who is not chased after idols, and so it's only in him that that can be our life. And so you're right. We have to admit that unless we have Christ as our Savior to rescue us from our, our idols, we are, we're going to be chasing after idols our whole life. And so as we come to a close, I want to give you an invitation to repentance. I'm going to give you an invitation today after church, if you're with friends, if you're with your family, Good discussion topic. What are the idols of our family? What are the idols of my life? I think it's better to probably name your own idols than the other people's idols around you. I know it's a little easier to do that, but let's name our own idols and talk about what are some of the ways that I trust and I hope in those things. What would it mean for me to have an internal shift from hoping in the idols as my source of life and God, my Father, as my source of life? What would that look like? I'm going to invite you to that discussion but also invite you to go to the Lord and tell him that he is your true father. He is your savior. And that idols have no power. And that you want to belong to him. And so the, uh, the Apostle Paul invites us to the grace of the gospel this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these challenging words that speak so pointedly to um, some of the most important things in our lives.
First, we give you thanks. We acknowledge that this world is filled with good things that have been made by you. And you have sprinkled each one of our lives with good things. And we want to receive those with joy and thanksgiving. But we want all of your gifts, your good gifts, to lead us back to you. Keep us from idols. And also show us your fatherly care. Show us the faithful Jesus, the one who is not like us, who never chased after idols, but always trusted in the care of his Father. That, Lord, we might find you to be our rock. And so we turn to you in hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.